You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting, let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. Thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast, along with my co-host today, Girl Scout CEO, Danielle Shockey, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Our guest is Patricia, we're going to call her Patty Martin, who is president and CEO of Bio Crossroads. She's had an amazing career, including a stop at Eli Lilly, which is where she was working when I met her about... 10 to 12 years ago, where she did some work for Mayor Ballard. She did what she always does. She gives of herself and she volunteers for civic causes, philanthropic causes, and all sorts of endeavors that better the state of Indiana and the city of Indianapolis. Patty, thank you very much for coming on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Robert, thank you for having me. As always, it's ladies first. So Danielle, take it away. All right. Thanks, Robert. Great to have you, Patty. Um, so, gosh, Robert said you were at Lily for a, a minute, I think is the word he used, maybe something like that. And it was really 26 years. So we want we want to talk about that. But first, I really want to ask you about your current role, um, which I believe is CEO and executive director. Is that right at BioCrosswords or is it president? CEO, CEO and president? Yep. CEO and president. So in reading and getting ready for the show, of course, right, I'm reading about what BioCrossroads is and it's, it's a not-for-profit. It's described as a, an initiative. So that makes it a little bit kind of maybe a, a different type of organization that maybe our listeners may not fully understand. So explain to us and our listeners, what, what is BioCrossroads purpose, mission, vision, body of work, however you'd like to tackle that. Okay. So thank you so much. Um, thanks to you also for having me. 
Uh, so BioCrossroads actually just an, um, announced on Sunday that we had our we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. So we've been around for a while. Um, we were the first initiative under Central Indiana Corporate Partnership, um, which is an entity now that um, hosts different industry sector initiatives. So life sciences being one of them. You might also have heard of TechPoint, which is in the tech space, Connexus and Manufacturing. So we are um, an organization that focuses on igniting the growth for central or for overall Indiana life sciences sector. So we try to promote and grow the sector um, for the state. And this actually goes back to 20 years ago when um, a number of leaders convened to say, what are the strengths of the state of Indiana and how do we leverage those? One of them clearly was the life sciences sector, which we can talk about a little bit later. But the idea was that the different parts of the sector were disparate around the state, and there was an opportunity to convene different members of the sector in a way that we could promote and grow overall. So we were a coordinator, a convener, a connector of the sector to see if we couldn't uh, punch above our weight, which I can say we're absolutely doing right now. We also have, so we are a not-for-profit. Um, we operate as a C3. We also have a for-profit entity that we um, run called uh, BioCrossroads Initiative. That is where we have our seed funds. So again, about 15 years ago, there was an identification made that the industry sector in Indiana needed more investment capital. So we were able to create a for-profit entity where we house three seed funds and make investments in startups. So we have a foot in both camps. Okay. Another concept or CICP, um, Central Indiana corporate partnership, right, is another concept I think that may or may not be completely understood by our listeners. So if you want to um, maybe describe that, but also my question really is, how unique is that? Is CICP, do you find that in other states or is this unique to Indiana? And I think Indiana is strong in a lot of ways. And is, is this one of those examples? So Central Indiana Corporate Partnership is absolutely unique. Um, it's a public-private partnership that stretches across all industries. Um, it's unique in that its membership is roughly the 60 most preeminent companies in the state and affiliated universities and not-for-profits. Um, it is only a CEO organization, so you convene CEOs only. And um, there is no other place where that group comes together and they identify and then take action on um, those things that are of most interest and importance to industry across the state. The biggest evidence of this was, um, in fact, we'll have a call this afternoon from four to five, the collective um, collaboration across the members of CICP and their organizations in response to Indiana's uh, response to COVID has been stellar. Um, I mean, I'm Tom Linebarger, Dave Ricks, Gail Boudreaux have given a great amount of time and all of their peers to ensuring that we have a collective response. And there's actually, it's been recognized by organizations like the Brookings Institute as a very unique collaboration um, that moves to action. So we're very lucky to have it. And then we're housed underneath that umbrella organization. Perfect. So you, you use the words promote and grow so that it's to promote and grow the life sciences sector within BioCrossroads. Mm -hmm. Is promote and grow the same goal for TechPoint? I mean, is it the same 
kind of goals for each of those initiatives under the CICP umbrella? I would say generally so, although we operate very independently. So each one of us are the CEO of our organizations. We raise the money for our respective organizations. Um, We are all focused on growing our particular sector. What's unique to BioCrossroads is that we are not a membership organization. So I don't want to go down a path here, but there's a difference between C6 and C3 funding. So we predominantly get our our funding from um, wonderful folks like the Lilly Endowment, Richard Fairbanks Foundation, and we are focused on research and education. So for example, um, we did the primary research that created then that identified the opportunity and laid out the initial plan and actually hosted the original operations to stand up 16 tech. So 16 tech is a new innovation district in, in, in Indianapolis. If you're not familiar with it, it's just South of 16th street off of Indiana Avenue. It's really, it's really gaining momentum. It's exciting. Um, But our research demonstrated that because Indiana is in a unique place, we have three R1 universities, so so qualified research universities. They are not, though, in one central area. So they're not in Indianapolis. So conversely, you go to Chicago or Boston, generally the universities folks would bump into each other, right? Here, because you've got Purdue, West Lafayette, and South Bend, 16 Tech is a place that we can convene those research universities and have the opportunity to have them interact with the medical school or other industry in a way that we didn't have before. So those are the kinds of ideas that we generate that then move into action. And then we don't operate them. We, we start them. And then if we're, if, if we're successful, someone else operates them. And we've done that um, probably a half a dozen times. Um, over our 20 years. So I can give you more examples, but I'll stop there. No, no, it's a great example. And and really where I I wanted to ask a follow-up question related, I kind of wanted to lead us down a path and that was a great example. I wondered if the initiatives, the six different initiatives under the CICP umbrella, are there similar trends? Meaning, you know, you identified in that, I believe that study you described, right? That there was this need for greater connectivity between industry and higher education. Mm-hmm. Do you do you find that there are similar trends and then that you can all work together across the different sectors or or is that not the case? So it it is the case. I think that um, we have a recent study that was released by the Brookings Institute a year ago called the GPS study which was looking at trends that cut across the advanced sectors um, across the state. And advanced sectors would include ag tech, um, you know, regular tech, life sciences, and advanced manufacturing. So those things where you're getting into a digitized economy. And the common denominator there, for example, is that we don't have the talent across the state with the skills right now to keep up the pace with the digitization of industries writ large. So that is something that we're working on together to think about what those strategies could be to ensure that we're identifying what the needs of the jobs are and then communicating back with with academia 
and our friends at the research institutions to say, hey, this is the talent that we need, with a real focus on trying to keep talent here in Indiana. Remarkably, we have more advanced industry here than people understand, and making sure that our talent has visibility to that. So that's in the promote and grow. Mm-hmm. We promote that we actually have the opportunities here that you don't have to go somewhere else for. So, and that cuts across entrepreneurship, same thing. So the capabilities of an entrepreneur, it's I'm an accountant by training, by the way, not a scientist, but accounting cuts across all sectors, all industries. Similarly, um, the capabilities for artificial intelligence and data analytics cut across, right? And then you go into a focused area. So they're and similarly to entrepreneurship, you have common skills that entrepreneurs need. So we're trying to make sure that there's a level playing field across all those advanced sectors to raise all boats across the state. So when you think about the talent pipeline, um, have you have you begun to look down below higher ed? So, you know, yes. uh, my my level of interest is, you know, the K-12 space and yes. specifically girls and the interest in yes. science and math and all those things. So what, if anything, interests you there? And, and have you have you done much to talk about that with me a little bit? So that has been um, a, a primary interest to our funders. Um, and I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know, but it is a very large, complex opportunity. Mm-hmm. And understanding where BioCrossroads can add the most value to that opportunity is something that we're actually taking on to better understand this year. Um, it's a commitment to both of our primary funders. Um We keep hearing the same issues, though, right? I mean, for example, in your space, I'm not going to surprise you when you hear that girls are not aware of nor encouraged to take on STEM education. You know, that's much bigger than my seven person staff. So what, what can we what can we do there? I think our role will be making sure people understand that they these positions and the capabilities are achievable and and accessible to our talent, um, K through 12 and undergrad, or even those who um, don't have high school diplomas, right? Um, You don't have to have a PhD to work in life sciences. In fact, I'm I'm evidence of that. So uh, I I think you have to make it less, um, Sorry, I'm thinking, trying to think. You have to make it less complicated and less ethereal. You have to bring it down to this is nothing more than two plus two, right? I mean, you build those skills as you go along and they're in your reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't I don't have the answer to that one yet. I do think that where we will try to play is to ensure that our employers understand their responsibility. Right now, we're having great success with recruiting companies to the state of Indiana in the life sciences space. Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to overpromise and underdeliver on the talent. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yep. We um, Girl Scouts in partnership with um, Lilly Foundation in gosh in 2020 had a study commissioned, and IYI, which is Indiana Youth Institute, uh-huh. actually completed the study for us. And it looked very specifically at the STEM fields and what is the gap in our K-12 space. So 
I will send you a copy. I don't know if there's any nuggets. Please, of, please send you a copy. Yeah. yeah. And um, if we could start to, um, yeah, I I'm, don't want to make this into a political conversation. So I'd love to read yeah. your study. Thank you. <laughs> well, and I can't take credit. It's a lot of other smart people who did the study. <laughs> I just, I wanted to know the information. Right. Yes. Um, so Robert. Women and CEOs who do so much for so many are having this conversation. Um, one of the amazing byproducts of this particular podcast is the fact that it introduces the two. And then I'll jump in yeah. here in a few minutes uh, about the importance of education, the importance of encouragement. Uh, you know, one of the five E's from the IEDC is economy of the future. Mm-hmm. And what the both of you are doing every day is laying the foundation for this economy. So maybe talk about that a little bit. And I guess I should mention that when it's my turn, Patty, I'm going to ask you about 16 Tech a lot because I did the PR in the news conference for the launch of 16 Tech in 2011, my first real big gig after I left Mayor Ballard's office, oh my Danielle. God. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I just drove past it not that long ago because my daughter goes to IUPUI and she lives right across the street from 16 tech. And so it was exciting to see how it's grown. It's, it's night and day really in the past few years. And, and that has a lot to do with your leadership and the leadership of others. So Danielle, why don't you put your education hat on and knock it out of the park? Cause I, well, because I care about our listeners is why no, I'm totally teasing. No, actually I have a 16 tech connection as well. First, my daughter's graduating with an entrepreneurship degree um, from ball state and they are taking, she's in her last semester and they are taking field trips to visit some of the most innovative spaces and their field trip this week on Tuesday, this past Tuesday was to 16 tech. So uh, I know, right? Uh, Exactly. And she was it's surprising was, people. I've had dozens of people come down and folks are like, I had no idea that yeah, anything no. like this in Indiana existed. Yes. Yep. She had no idea. Absolutely no idea. So, um, yeah. Um, so I guess the education space, right. I think, and you know, we could talk about how to solve it, but I, I, I do want to share Patty, cause I don't know if you know, and I think I can talk about it now cause we're getting to a point of reality is we are in partnership, um, Girl Scouts is in partnership in an independent 501c3 called Every Girl Can STEM and Purdue Polytechnic and Paramount Schools to um, launch an all-girls K-8 STEM school in central Indiana. I know, right? Yes. So we should have conversations about... Um, yeah, obviously we have great visions for what that would be um, opening in the fall of 24 um, in kind of the Purdue Polytech broad ripple area is our goal. Um, and so I think having girls have opportunities to do things in an all girl environment, which is what Girl Scouts brings to the table, is very different. So my question really, that was a long way of getting to a question. What do you see in, you know, as you walk around in different places in your both professional and Lily and bio crossroads, do you see the gap closing? Do you see more women in the life sciences? Are you seeing more women in boardrooms? Are you seeing like, how is that, has it gotten, has it changed across your career? Um, And what advice do you have for girls, women um, for for, for just that space? Um, that's a lot, that's a lot packed in there. Um, so let me say without a doubt, it's changed. 
Now, I've been at this for a while. So um, when I first joined Lily in 1991, right, um, I dressed like a man with a skirt. I mean, I had a tie in the whole nine yards. Um, I was told at that time not to wear a dress because then I would be confused with administrative assistants who were called secretaries at the time. And those people, those positions get more done than anybody else. So I think I, I absolutely have seen it change. But what's interesting is there's just still a remarkable gap Um you know, enrollment into, in my, in my field, enrollment into um, business schools for women has dropped. Um, I know sciences are eking up there, but there's not enough really reach back and pull forward yet. Um, In the boardroom, I will say that because it's starting to be legislated, you're seeing a much more focus on bringing women into the boardroom quickly that will turn into, I can't believe we didn't do this before. I mean, there's lots of data that demonstrates that diverse anything, whether it's board or a leadership team, you get better results. Um, And I just hope, I was the diversity officer at Lilly also. So I think that um, it's just, you do that for the right reasons for your business and the rest of it will follow. Um, But I still think that girls don't have... I mean, what you're doing is paramount to having girls understand as they become women that it's that there really is an opportunity here. Um, and we've got to have more women visible to the younger girls. I mean, I think that that's something that I'm around incredible scientists um, at Lilly and beyond and they're always happy to talk about connecting with folks, but that stuff doesn't happen without, without some kind of a connector opportunity. Um, and again, I just, we want people to understand that it really is achievable and accessible um, and not just have one tiny view of what it means, right? Mm-hmm. Being going into STEM does not mean you're going to work in a lab for the rest of your life, right? There's just, I mean, an accountant is STEM. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's um, lots of opportunity. So I, I think you are or you were. Are you still a part of the Indiana Women's Philanthropy Leadership Council? Mm-hmm. So taking this yes. kind of concept of females um, kind of to that space for a minute, less than 2% of you know, giving is to women and girl causes. What does that say? Uh, you know, again, I don't want to draw connections between two things that don't, don't, <laughs> but to, to me, they do, right? What do we, what is that saying about what, what do we care about as a society? And, and, and so I guess my question is, is there, is there strategy? Is there, how do we help as you know, your diversity, equity, inclusion officer, you see the gap yourself, the, you know, people put their money where their mouth is and they're not putting their money in women and girl causes. What can we do to make, what can we do, what can we do to change that? I should be asking you that question. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I got, I go first. <laughs> I'm just um, I think that a part of this is just having women realize that they 
do control or can control more of the decisions around giving, right? So totally aside, but I ran the Lilly Center for Women's Health um, for a couple of years, and we were focused not just on the difference of that disease affects women differently, but also the role that women play in the delivery of healthcare. At that time, 94 cents of every dollar um, of healthcare decisions passed through a woman's hand. And that sort of um, power wasn't understood either from folks on either of other either side of the transaction. For that matter, the other thing I learned when I was in that position is that women were not required in clinical trials until 1996 in the United States. So all medicines were studied in men, predominantly white men, healthcare decisions were made by men, um, but the healthcare care was being delivered by women. So how do you go about the, you know, how do you flip that around to have folks understand what authority they have? Um, I know there are lots of efforts to have women understand the power of giving. I don't know that it's because they're not interested in the topic or that they're not um, applying the, the power and the authority they have with the dollars, mm-hmm. right? And, and I, you would know that better than I would, but um, I don't know, for example, when women are responsible for giving, what do they give to? Is right. that what you're saying? It's only 2%? It's just total overall giving. Only 2% of all giving goes to women and female causes. So not women, not giving by women, but all giving. So even men. So just again, as yeah. a society collectively, where we right. Like, like animals, animal causes give get more dollars than women and girl causes, and I I think that's not okay. <laughs> oh, I'd be careful on that because Patty is a I know she has two dog dogs. Lover. I know <laughs> I am I I yeah, but I I think that right now animals have a higher status in our in our um in our culture often than some other humans. So I think that we need to, we need to take that into account. Um, I it's, so I, I don't have the answer for you, Danielle, on that one. It's near and dear to my heart. I think that it's women in general are just so important to all phases of our culture and our economy. Um, we just have a long way to go. I think, um, so you kind of said you should ask me. So I, I have a short little vignette, which I believe to be 95% true. So the C, the past CEO of Girl Scouts nationally was Sylvia Acevedo, um, rocket scientist, um, worked for NASA before coming to Girl Scouts. And she would tell a story from the stage, which is why I think it's true, because she wouldn't tell a room full of 500 people if it wasn't true. Um, but the Apple Health app um, now can measure women's menstruation cycles, but it always hasn't been the case. And she tells a story of as the Girl Scout CEO, she was in the room with the executive of Apple and that conversation ensued. And the question was asked and she asked the question, why not? And they were kind of dumbfounded and got back to her later. And it was determined that one, it's not there and it now is there. 
but that the room of people who designed that app was a table full of men. And so to your point, right, that women and women issues are such a big part of, and that's a huge part of women health. And so how do we make sure that women are at every table? And I can't agree more, the more diverse people at a table, the better decisions. I mean, I think there's, and there's studies out there, right? About oh, the success, the, the, you make more money as an, I mean, there's, there's, there's no reason not to. It's undisputable. I think mm-hmm. what I had thought when I was early in my career at Lilly, I was working for all men um, who had daughters and those daughters now are probably in their forties. And I expected those men to have a different perspective because they had daughters. Um, and I think, I think men who have daughters do right. Um, but then they're looking at it from the perspective of their daughter, not so much the perspective of their patient or their consumer. Um, so if you don't have different folks at the table, then you're not, you're just not going to get that. You're going to not get that perspective and that's just bad business. Right. In fact, I'll, I'll give a little vignette here from Lily. There was a medicine that was specifically targeted at women and um, our executive committee was all men with the exception of Becky Kendall, who was general counsel. They were debating the branding of this particular medicine. And Becky said, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I'm the only person in this room who's the target market for this medicine. And she was violently disagreeing with them. Right. So that's the power of having someone in the room. But as long as you feel like you have to have people in the room because you have to have them in the room, you're not going to get the right answer. You know, when you do realize that your customers and your patients um, are. Are different. Right. Then you take it. I mean, when I was a diversity officer at Lilly, which was not that long ago. Putting patient materials into any language but English was an afterthought. It's not anymore, but that's partly because we had to intervene in the process and say, at what point in time are these decisions being made and what what perspective are you bringing into it, right? Um, so you have to take everything into account. And that's the same thing I think with giving, right? Is you have to go back to where those early decisions are being made. And if people are making a choice between, you know, 10 different organizations to, to, to donate to, or to support, you know, odds are they're not what women and girls organizations aren't even in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think, um, I think go for way me, back in yeah. the process, you have to go back to the beginning of every process mm-hmm. and consider where, how you're bringing difference into that thought process. Absolutely. And I think one thing, you know, brag on Girl Scouts, the one thing we do is we help girls have a voice and help them identify those entry points, when to step up, when to have courage and confidence to ask the questions. And I think the one thing I can do in my role um, is ask funders, you know, how much, you know, why not girls? Why not Girl Scouts? Why not girls in STEM? Um, Mm -hmm. You just have to sometimes just have to call it. Um, So it's. Mm-hmm. Every day. Anyway, um, I want to ask a fun question, Robert. I'm yes. going to get off of the sciences and all that stuff. So you were the co-chairwoman of the 100th running. Is that right? Of the 500 in 2016? So I chaired the 500 festival okay. for the 100th running. Mm-hmm. And then I was the co-chair of um, 
a joint effort between the track and the festival. Um, so yes, I, I did a lot with, with the hundredth anniversary of the race. Yes. Okay. So here's why, here's my question. So my, I have a board development chair and she wants her goal is she wants the Girl Scouts board to be as sought after as the 500 board. And she wants to have green Corvettes, which obviously none of these things are happening. Um, but I, but, but we are actually, I said, if it could be a green Jeep Cherokee, then maybe, right? We're adventurous and outdoorsy. Um, but no, the question really is, that always seems like such a fun role. Was it as fun as it seems? Um, obviously, it's a lot of hard work. But just, again, I think people look at that and they think, oh, that's really cool. So just describe what that's like to serve in the in something as iconic as a leadership spot in the 500 anything. So um, it is fun. Right. And it's focused on everything off track for an iconic event. Uh, The real beauty of the 500 Festival is the volunteer core. Thousands of volunteers that pull that off, which is not new just for the 500 Festival. It's just true to our state and our city. Right. It's just something that we for granted that just doesn't really happen anywhere else. And I think that the the opportunity to represent um, the city in addition to the race is, is really fun. And I think the, um, when you're on there, you're, you're committed to, to making that happen. Um, and in addition now to the off track events that the festival supports um, the education around health and fitness and the other missions that they're pulling into the festival, um, I think give it, more than just a party feel, right? But I'm pretty sure that if Roger Penske had a 500 festival-like entity at all of his venues, he would be really happy mm-hmm. um, because it really elevates, I think, an already iconic event and brings folks in that aren't even interested in racing, right? It's Again, it makes it incredibly accessible. So yes, it was, it was fun. So yesterday they announced the, the concert lineup for the 500, this coming 500, mm-hmm. it, it was the first time I felt old and Robert, you love music. And so I'd be curious to know in the lineup, I don't recognize one of the five bands that are playing in the infield. So I'd be curious if you take a look and if you know any of the bands. No, I didn't recognize any of them either. So gosh, I felt I, yeah. I, I hate to tell it, to break it to you guys, but we're not the target market. My guess is <laughs> I could text my daughter right now who has already been all over me for um for snake pit tickets and she'll know who they are (laughs) all right (laughs) we'll leave it up for the young ones Mm -hmm. you are listening to leaders and legends a podcast presented by veteran strategies a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by girl scouts of central indiana garmon construction Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Patty Martin. She is president and CEO of Bio Crossroads, my former neighbor, I should say. <laughs> Wonderful neighbor to have too. Very quiet and uh, 
just a delightful dog owner, I should say. They're very sweet. How are they doing, by the way? I hope that they're doing well. They're marvelous. Yes. You yes, like to say their names marvelous. on the Leaders and Legends podcast? Sure. So um, our oldest one is McLovin. <laughs> and our younger one is Dragon. And if McLovin's not familiar to you, then um, then you don't watch sophomoric humor movies. Um, but it's from Superbad, a character from Superbad. I think Dragon was the uh, least well-behaved of the pair. I seem to remember hearing that name being yelled more than (laughs) the other. (laughs) Patty, is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire? Um, You know, this is going to be really um, sort of arcane. Um, but Dr. Clues is actually someone I admire because not very many people know the impact. Alan Clues? Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, please. George Henry Alexander Clues. Um, so, so Dr. Clues worked for Lily at a time when insulin was first discovered. Um, he was on a train on December 24th of 19... 19- 20 um, to go hear, uh, hear about this discovery and was responsible for establishing the collaboration with the University of Toronto and Lilly to actually be able to manufacture this life-saving medicine we now know as insulin. Um, and there, it is undisputable that that particular agreement set the course for the state of Indiana and everything that came after. Um, so until that time, insulin was not, they were not able to manufacture insulin at scale. Uh, so they had this miracle drug that could save children's lives that have type one diabetes, but they couldn't make it. Um, and so that's the collaboration that Lily started and that became then the first biotechnology product on the planet with Humulin. Um, and Today, Lily's the number one provider of diabetes care medicines on the planet. So um, people don't know him. They know of Clues Hall at mm-hmm. Butler, but they don't know why. And I'm on a mission to get that out because we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the commercialization of insulin next year or this year, actually. Um, and it's just I'm very anxious for the next 100 years. So I'm partial to life science leaders. A very unique answer. The name of this podcast is Leaders and Legends, and you've worked with many of the both at Lilly. What's it like to be around so many terrific and terrifically smart people on a daily basis? to be totally honest with you, you don't realize it. You're just surrounded with these people who are trying to do the right thing um, and invent these medicines that change people's lives. And it's just a matter of course. Right. Um, And so then you realize that you're in the room with Richard DeMarkey, who is the patent holder on a still Lily's number one selling medicine, Humalog. Um, he designed it and, and that's stunning. You're, you're walking down the hall with the person who 
um, holds the patent on Prozac, which completely changed the treatment of depression. Um, but they're just there doing their job. So I think that it's one of those things, almost like living in the state of Indiana and not realizing just how ingrained our volunteer psyche is to helping each other out. It's the same thing there. Um, as an accountant and not a scientist, I was always stunned with how little I knew, um, but how willing they were to teach. So it was spectacular. Lily certainly has a central role, not only in the Indiana economy, speaking just of Indiana for a second, not the world, not the country, in in Hoosier philanthropy, but you, you do encounter some terrific people. We've had some Lily uh, alumnus and now alumni on the mm-hmm. podcast, Michael O'Connor and Bart Peterson, mm-hmm. Mitch Daniels, mm-hmm. Michael O'Connor, I should say, if I didn't already say him actually. And I got hit in the back last night by a former Eli Lilly PhD scientist named Michael Chiapetta. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm guessing, you know, him, he was there for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, why is Lily able to recruit such talent like yourself, like, you know, thousands of other people whose names we don't necessarily know? Um, so it was interesting because when I first came to Lily, I didn't fully understand the power of making medicine. And So there's a particular phenotype who either comes in directly or drinks the Kool-Aid when you're in there that you really have the opportunity to make a difference. Lily's approach, because we've been independent, so we're not the result of merger after merger. We've done acquisitions and lots of partnerships. I ran alliance management for Lily for a number of years where we were partnering with other organizations there's still a feeling that I don't want to say it's home, but it, that it's different. And interestingly enough, we've had great invention um, and great collaboration. Most people who think about Indianapolis think, I don't want to, you know, who wants to come to Indianapolis? You get people here and they don't leave um, because then they understand just what a unique situation we have here with great science um, in a great place to live. Um, So it's not easy getting people to come, um, but it's very easy people to have people stay. And one of the things that worries me in this post COVID era, and it's going to worry lots of folks is that now you can work from anywhere um, but I know you better, Robert, because I ran into you in the hallway, um, you know, when I was going out to walk my dogs, there's, there's just that, that intimacy of getting to know someone that I worry that we'll lose. But when people come, they don't go anywhere. And it's because it's really great science. Um, you and I first met, it was in 2009. I was working for mayor Ballard doing the, uh, messaging and PR for what became the utility transaction between the city of Indianapolis and citizens energy. Mm-hmm. You volunteered. I don't recall you getting paid probably uh, yeah. along with your f- friends. It was a volunteer 
enterprise, of course, to to serve on the mayor's. I can't even remember the name of it, like Water Advisory Council or Utility Advisory Council. And we pulled some people in to talk about the deal, the potentials of the deal, what how we could benefit the citizens, you know, what would work best. And it was complicated stuff. You were on with uh, with my friend Bill Bloomquist and my one of my mentors, um, Professor Bloomquist. But you did that in the midst of what I'm sure is an incredibly busy schedule. How important is it to you to serve on boards, give of yourself in a civic manner? Uh, Danielle mentioned uh, your association with the 500 parade. That's ingrained. You mentioned volunteers when the podcast talked about the race. Mm -hmm. That's what you are. You're a volunteer. (laughs) Why is that important to you? There's actually two reasons it's important to me. Um, One is before I went to graduate school, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona for a while. And what I noticed there was there was what there was no center. There was no real sense of community if you weren't from the community. And so one of the things I knew coming back to Indianapolis and working for Lilly was that I would have the opportunity um, literally to engage in any way in the city that I that would be of interest, right? And that connectivity to something beyond Lilly Corporate Center has always been really important to me. And when you're working on, so the first thing I did actually, and it's how I met my husband, um, was I volunteered for Mitch's um, Celtic committee under Goldsmith. Um, That one actually was more work, quite frankly, than than the second time around. Um, But it was a real opportunity to have engage in the city and be able to um, contribute to something that I thought was really going to help out the help the city. I just think it's really good to have a perspective that's beyond what you're doing for work. And so it's just always been sort of what I do when I retired from Lily, which I don't call, I don't call it retiring. I call it graduating. I graduated from Lily. A friend of mine who had retired previously said, you know, Patty, um, what I do when I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my time, I don't do anything for pay that I wouldn't do for free. And so that's true for me for whether I'm getting paid or whether I'm volunteering. It's one of those things where you really have to feel that it's worth your time um, because that's the rate limiting factor. But I wouldn't have had the same life experience. My kids wouldn't have had the same life experience if I hadn't done something beyond, you know, the McCarty Street um, or Lily Corporate Center or whatever you want to call it, the Lilies. So it's. Yeah, I want to participate in in this thing we call Indianapolis in the state of Indiana. So that's I had the luxury of being able to do that um, a couple times. Patty is a graduate. We are speaking with Patty Martin, president and CEO of BioCrossroads. Patty is a graduate of Indiana University, and she earned her MBA from the Harvard School of Business. This is an important question. Uh, where'd you have more fun? Cambridge or Bloomington? <laughs> um, so I was convinced that I was an admissions error the entire two years I was at Harvard Business School. So I was pretty stressed out. I thought they were going to figure it out at some point in time. Um, so definitely, uh, definitely Bloomington. Um, 
but very different experiences. So everybody I know who has attended IU, even if they're 60 years old, would go back tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> yes. What, what drew you? We've had, we've had a couple, we had some Harvard graduates on David Frick has been on Ted yeah. Bohm has been on. Yes. Ted, I worked with Ted. What is it that drew you to Bloomington and uh, were you there for any of the national championships? Yeah. So I was in Bloomington from um, 78 to 82. Um, and so I had a good, good basketball run in there. And then I was in Phoenix for the 86 championship, lots of, of Hoosiers out in, in Phoenix um, it drew me because that's just what you did. I think that once again, you, for me, I wasn't going to Purdue because my family was an IU family, even though no one had gone to IU, that's just who we were. Um, and I was, it, it's a beautiful place. You don't, you just don't, when you're that age deciding where you're going to school, I don't think you really understand the resources that are available to you. That is something that I would say, and I would say this, Danielle, to any young woman that I'm speaking with, whether you're in undergrad or you're in graduate school, people want to help, right? People want to teach. And I was not comfortable with asking for that kind of help. And my daughter is very comfortable with it now because the worst people can say is, sorry, I don't have time for you. But if you don't ask, you're not going to, you're not going to get the help. So. Um, Bloomington was very good to me. I'm still very involved with Indiana University. I think it's critical to have a university like that in the state of Indiana. Um, I'm excited because we have more connectivity now with IU and 16 Tech, uh, a project that we're doing um, on behalf of the endowment where the connectivity between our research universities is really starting to pop. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bloomington, so... We had Ray Tolbert on the podcast last yeah. year. Big play, Ray. Mm -hmm. And he talked a little bit about what drew him there. And we've had a lot of, of IU guests, probably the penultimate IU guest until Danielle secures the current president, which is one of her tasks. Oh. And that is Jim Morris. So when, yes. you got to know, when you got to know Jim Morris, uh, what, what effect did he have on you? Uh, the question of, is there a particular Hoosier leader or legend you admire is more often answered by the name Jim Morris than anyone else. So Jim Morris just has an enormous heart. I mean, I think he is the, you look up connector in the dictionary and you're going to find Jim Morris's name, um, huge heart and loyalty. I think that his loyalty is something that you don't see as much of, right? I mean, he's just determined to be, to be helpful to people. So, um, and his, his loyalty to the city of Indianapolis and the state of Indiana, we just need more gyms, right? I think that that's, um, that's incumbent on us and later generations to, we put so much stock in everything that Jim has, has been able to contribute and do. Um, and he's really a model for those, for the rest of us. Right. Um, but he, he's, there's only one Jim Morris. So. You've had several 
female CEOs, or at least close to that level, on the Leaders and Legends podcast. And a lot of that has to do with Danielle, of course, including Danielle, mm-hmm. a CEO herself, but and Mert Lowe, and we've had uh, Angela Brawley, we've had Susan Brooks, people whom you all know, uh, lots of other names, Becky Skillman. We've had uh, Lieutenant Governors on for sure, Kathy Davis. Uh, is there a, and others I'm, I'm not, I don't have time to mention, of course. Um, is there a group or is there a bond among you who perhaps were born and came up in a different generation? And for lack of a better term, you've made it. You have a seat at the table. And do you share thoughts and experiences and ideas and inspirations? So there is a group. In fact, there are different quasi-official groups, not really official, but um, uh, clusters of women who interact in different topics together, uh, depending on their primary interests. And there's, there's really a sense of camaraderie, I guess. Um, you know, we're not going to sit down and talk about, um, you know, a specific issue, right? You, you do that one-on-one with folks when you need, when you need a piece of advice. Um, but I think the fact that there's an opportunity to just interact with folks who have had similar experiences, um, and, and learn from each other indirectly, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time that I spend with women here in the city, it's really about getting to know, you know, so for example, I, I hosted a group of women at 16 Tech um, who wouldn't have had no reason to be there. Um, and those kinds of things to keep current on what's happening in and around the city is one thing that is that we do, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not answering this probably as well as, um, but the other thing is, again, given the city and who we are as Hoosiers, I can pick up the phone and call anyone um, through one, maybe two degrees of separation and folks want to help. And if they can't, they'll direct you somewhere else. So that's the, that's how that network works. I think it's partly camaraderie and social and partly um specific specific inquiries right um and i'm excited danielle that you're going to pursue president witten for the podcast i think that again as women in particular we have a responsibility not that it's uh, it's not a burden but it's an opportunity to support her in her role um you know, I had never really worked in academia until I came to BioCrossroads, and now I spend more time than I expected, quite frankly, um, with academics. And that's not an easy job. Um, it's more of a politician than it is. Um, and so I think that's where applying some, and that's why I think Mitch has been so successful at Purdue. He's applied business principles to into an academic environment. Um and they don't, they're symbiotic. I mean, there's an opportunity to leverage both of those, um, but universities are not wired that way. So I, I, I'm hoping we can all support her in ways that are 
meaningful to her. Yeah, we have a, she's participating in a Girl Scout event at launch, launched Fishers um, in a couple of weeks. Oh. So we have a, a one-on-one meet and greet. So that's my task is to get her to say yes. Why? Yeah, that's have, great. I have some time. And so Patty, I wanted to tease Robert, really what he was asking about when do women get together is he wanted an invitation. Mm-hmm. He, was, he wants to come hang, hang out with all of us women. CEOs. Yeah. Only if I can, only if I may bring my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think that that's, that's one thing that's, I'll tell a quick Helen story. Um, so daughter, Helen, who's now a senior in college, um, when a good friend of mine was retiring from Lily, uh, she was probably five and someone asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. And so the first thing that she wanted to be was a nanny. Cause she loved her. She loved her babysitter. The next thing that she wanted to do was work at a Starbucks because that's when we were doing kids cocoa, right? They do half the sugar anyway, work at Starbucks. And then she looked and she had really thick bottle glasses on and she looked up at this person and said, and then I want to work at Lily. And this, this woman said, you know, why do you want to do that? And she looked at her with this, you've got to be kidding me. You don't know this. <laughs> she, she looked up at her and said, because you make medicine. And um, so back to the question on, on, you know, how do you get good people? I mean, it's, it's an honor to work for a company that changes people's lives in one way or another. Um, And we're, we're very lucky to have the company here and the, and the people, but the people are lucky to have Indianapolis here too. Um, So it was no, I'm going to guess it was no accident, no pun intended, that you were chosen to be the chair for the 500 festival. Uh, I won't out your license plate number, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I know what the license plate is on the back of your car. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular love of racing or race driver or, or that part of the Indianapolis lore that you would love to share? We've had Mark Miles on the podcast and Doug Bowles and Allison Melangdon and Alanzer Jr. and Paul Page, Johnny Rutherford. So we've we've tried to mine that as much as we can. But I yeah. chuckled when I saw your car and I you drove away. We waved. You drove away like the first time I went. Mark Miles has gotten his hooks in Patty Martin. Yes. So my license plate is a 500 festival license plate that says 33 cars. And the reason that it says 33 cars is not because there are 33 cars in the Indianapolis 500, um, except indirectly, because I was made fun of at, at the festival one time for asking if anyone knew why there were 33 princesses and what I meant to say 33 cars. And do you guys know why there are 33 cars in the Indianapolis 500? Bowles told the story on the podcast, but I don't remember, Danielle. Mm, I don't. So it's basically when it first started, they were trying to figure out how many cars could be on the track at a safe distance between each other. And I'm paraphrasing this, but roughly speaking, if you put them end around 33 cars was what they thought was the safest number, which is hilarious because now they they're all within 12 inches of each other. Right. (laughs) So I don't think that it really matters, but we, so there are 33 cars in the race and, um, and 
the five of my 500 festival colleagues have never let me forget that I asked what they thought was a rhetorical question. Um, and so it it's with me to this day. Yes. So I'm a big fan. I don't, I'm a big fan of the Indianapolis 500 for what it's done for the city. Um, I'm not a huge race fan out of that, but I, I am here, here, right. I'm supportive here and I love um, Mark and Allison and Cindy and now Roger and their efforts to, to keep the sport going. So it's just meant so much for, for us. So. Let me ask one more question before I turn it back over to Danielle for the final five questions. You mentioned that you graduated from Lily, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was your synonym for retirement. Yet we introduced you as the CEO of bio crossroads. What was it about this organization, its mission and 16 tech, which, as I mentioned, before we started, I did the public relations in my first big contract after leaving the mayor's office. I did the PR for the launch of 16 tech. It was just a notion. You're right about other cities because I had to do a bunch of research about, you know, how do other cities, you know, how do other places do their kind of technology uh, center points? Um, What was it about BioCrossroads and the potential of 16 tech that that brought you back into the game, for lack of a better term? So, um, BioCrossroads was founded. The original chair of BioCrossroads was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Gus Watanabe, who was the head of Lilly Research Laboratories for a number of years and a mentor of mine. Um, Gus is no longer with us, but I channel him every day. Um, The opportunity to promote and grow the life science sector for the state was just something that had always appealed to me. I quite frankly didn't understand completely what BioCrossroads did. Um, it's a much harder, um, intellectually, it's, it's, it's spectacular because I get to be around science and economic development and um, education. Uh, I, I came to it because I felt like there was an opportunity to sell the state of Indiana, partly because I had done investor relations for Lilly for five years. And at that time, I was selling Lilly stock. Um, but to sell Lilly stock, you have to know the science of Lilly and the operations of Lilly um, and convince people that it was a worthy investment. And I actually tease Danielle sometimes. I say, I could sell Lilly stock. I can't sell Girl Scout cookies, right? They sell themselves. But um, so I'm not a salesperson, but when I really believe in something, which I believe in what we have here, and that goes back to the question on, you know, who do I see as a, as a leader or a legend? Um, people do not understand either in the state or beyond the great things that we have to offer here. Um, and for me, it's, it's an easy sell. So anything to be done to promote and grow the life science sector for the state of Indiana, which is absolutely critical um, not just to our educate to our economic health, but to the intellectual capacity of the state, job capacity. Um, I was just all in. It was a no. It was a no brainer to me. So um, here I am. I'm. In addition to running BioCrossroads, you'll be happy to know that I got my bartender's license. So just in I, time for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> 
when everyone asked when I first, so I was retired from Lily for two years before I took this job. And um, everyone said, you know, what are you going to do? And I finally got so tired of it that I said I was going to get be a, get my bartender's license, which about six months ago, I actually did. So maybe I'll go to the golden ace and see if I can stand behind the bar on St. Patrick's Day. I can make that happen, Patty. Okay. Like that's, that's a, that's a done deal. I have, I have a legitimate bartender license. I can be an honorary bartender. You have to uh, an Irish, Irish flag or an Irish car bomb would be the two <laughs> drinks of choice that day at that bar. I should probably <laughs> learn how to make those. those. Yes. Okay. Patty, we will talk about that after this podcast is finished. <laughs> okay. Now it's Danielle's turn to ask you the five questions. Go ahead. All right. Okay. What was your very first job? Um, I worked as a grocery store clerk at Clark's Grocery in Wabash, Indiana. Long before there was any scanners, I actually had to poke in the dollars and cents and know the prices of things. So I'm dating myself. There you go. And you became an accountant. So it all went together. So, that, mm -hmm. um, Okay. What was your first concert? Um, this is going to be pathetic. My first concert was spectacular. It was Elton John um, at UC Berkeley. That is spectacular. That's yeah, nice. it was pretty good. Priceless. Yeah. It was pretty much one and done. It was priceless. Yeah. Okay. Um, a book you would recommend to others that you love? Um, you know, I the book I recommend to folks is sort of odd. Um, it's a historic novel. Actually, I like historic novels, so I would I'm gonna give you two. Um, because they're both sort of the same thing. One is called The Historian, and it's the history. It's actually based on Dracula, um, but it gives the history of uh, religious um, altercations in and around um, the Middle East. Oh, well, actually up through. Anyway, it's, it's fascinating because it's history and then also um, the story of Dracula. The other one is Devil in the White City. Same reason. Um, there's history on both sides. It's historic novel, but it's basically true about a serial killer and the World's Fair in Chicago. So I like to read books where they're not too serious, but I learned something. Excellent. All right. So this next question is actually about history. If you could witness a moment in history firsthand, what moment would you, would you want to have seen? Um, wow. I, I'd probably say Martin Luther King. I have a dream speech. It's been a popular choice. Yeah. All right. And the last of the five, if you could have two hours uninterrupted with one person alive today to have just a conversation, who would you want to sit down with? <sighs> alive today. That's right. Limiting. <laughs> um, who, who would it be? I don't want it to be someone so obvious. Um, if I could have an honest conversation, actually probably the queen of England. Hmm. How cute is she? Ah, but man, a, is she a force. 
I don't know how you could be in the same room with her and actually get out a sentence. Like, I don't know that. I don't as, think you do. Yeah. As, as folks who listen to the podcast know, my uh, master's degree is in medieval history, English history. And you think about all the great Kings and Queens that you, that have and of course there's been some lousy ones too, but some of them, you just kind of wonder how you could even speak to you just be so intimidated. And, you know, she comes across as, as half grandma, half Dracula. <laughs> Lily has a direct for that. So, um, <laughs> no, I mean, she's just seen, I mean, she, she epitomizes history. I mean, you just think about her entire life. And um, so if you'd asked me for someone who was, who had already passed, I would say my dad, because I think that there are things that I would ask him now that I didn't think to ask him before. Um, and I regret, I don't want to say I regret that, but I'm, I should have done that. You have been listening to leaders and legends, a podcast presented by veteran strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by girl scouts of central Indiana, Garmon construction leaders and legends, LLC, the grand hall and conference center at historic union station, the McGinley's golden ace Inn and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our co-host today has been Danielle Shockey, CEO of Girl Scouts, Central Indiana. And our guest has been Patty Martin, CEO of Bio Crossroads. And without a doubt, one of the kindest people I have ever met in my professional career. If, 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 if you get a chance ever to meet her, please try to get as much of her time as possible because you will see how genuine she is and how much she cares about this city. She's a terrific neighbor and a wonderful part of the Indianapolis fabric. Thank you very much, Patty, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. 